0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we return to Venezuela, just ahead of the snap presidential election. Who will replace the late Hugo Chavez? We'll have two views on the likely outcome, but first... Kurt Devine is here with more news related to Venezuela's economic and political situation, along with the rest of this week's review of news from around Latin America.
1: Economic and political experts in New York City warned that whoever wins this weekend's snap presidential election in Venezuela will face mounting economic difficulties. Economic analyst Catherine Rooney-Vera said because the late president Hugo Chavez ran a large budget deficit, likely more belt tightening is down the road.
2: Of course, everyone knows the, the combination of unsustainable policies that we're in right now. High inflation and accelerating after a couple devaluations and,
3: and, and, and convoluted policies, massive shortage of U.S. dollars, um, massive food shortages, perevesa, declining in production. You don't have enough dollars
2: in the system. So there's some huge black um, clouds on the horizon.
1: Runi Vera made her comments at a conference sponsored by the Americas Society, Council of the Americas. Venezuela devalued its currency, the bolivar, by more than a third, about a month before Chavez died. We'll have more on the Venezuelan election after this news summary. A former member of the Guatemalan army implicated Guatemala's president in the ongoing genocide trial of the country's former dictator, Efrain Rios Montt. Hugo Reyes, a former army engineer, said President Otto Perez Molina, while he was an army officer, oversaw the burning of indigenous villages and the execution of villagers and non-combatants. The president has called these accusations lies, but Catherine Johnson, of the Guatemala Human Rights Commission says Perez Molina has a war record that ties him to abuses of Guatemala's indigenous groups. He's not only a former military officer; he was actually a major in the army in the region in the Ishiel Triangle where the genocide where the genocide was allegedly committed. And um, at the time that these atrocities happened, he oversaw them as a major. Um, in charge of that region. And so it's not surprising that he would not be supportive of this trial and um, would be speaking out against, um, against the charges of genocide. Like all nationally elected officials in Guatemala, the president has immunity from prosecution and cannot be asked to testify in the trial. Brazilian authorities began investigating former President Luiz Inacio Lula de Silva for allegations of corruption. A federal prosecutor asked police to determine whether or not Lula participated in a scheme that bribed Brazilian lawmakers with public funding to support legislation. A businessman involved in the scandal says the former president received direct payment from the vote-buying scheme. Several of Lula's aides have been convicted and sentenced to years in prison for the scheme, known as the Mensalau scandal. Controversy over the funeral of former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher died this week of a stroke. The British government has invited delegations from all governments that have friendly relations with Britain to attend next week's funeral, all except Argentina. Thatcher's family opposed an invitation to President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, who has renewed Argentine claims to the Falkland Islands, territory the Argentines call the Malvinas. Falkland residents praised Thatcher for sending British troops to liberate the island from an Argentine invasion during the 1982 war. The island's Legislative Assembly has declared April 17th as a holiday, so islanders can watch the funeral services in the UK, and then hold their own special memorial later that day. Argentine journalists responded to Thatcher's death by decrying her as a murderer and a friend of dictators. Religious analysts in the U.S. predict Pope Francis of Argentina will amplify the global voice of Latin America during his papacy. Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, Archbishop Emeritus of Washington, D.C., spoke about Pope Francis' loyalty to the region this week at the Inter-American Dialogue. I'm convinced he'll be
4: have a more personal view in Latin America, and the fact that he's a native Spanish speaker and, uh, and a Portuguese speaker, uh, he will have an open ear there. This, this continent now is represented as it's never been represented before.
1: McCarrick stressed that although Pope Francis holds to a very conservative doctrine, he plans to promote poverty alleviation in Latin America and throughout the world. Panama's presidential elections are more than a year away, but already candidates are making their way to Washington, D.C. to meet the powerful and mingle with journalists and academics, too. One candidate, Juan Carlos Navarro, made the rounds this week, and our Zach Cohen was among those listening to Navarro's proposals.
3: In 25 years, an incumbent party in Panama has never won a presidential election. So Juan Carlos Navarro said this week in Washington that he hopes next year's Panamanians will elect him to replace the current president, Ricardo Martinelli of the Democratic Change Party.
4: I have
0: decided that I will not come to the U.S. to say bad things about Panama. So. I will only say good things about my government. That's all I have to say.
3: <laughs> Navarro represents the Democratic Revolutionary Party, Panama's well-established conservative party. Navarro proposed a number of ways to improve Panama, including protecting the environment, reforming the education system, and alleviating extreme poverty and fiscal deficits. He didn't provide many concrete details on his goal to reform the judicial system, but he did say he would do so. Like
0: making love to a shark very carefully.
3: The former two-term mayor of Panama City hopes to capitalize on Panama's place as what he called a transportation hub. He said he would work to improve the economic prosperity Panama has already enjoyed. Panama's per capita income ranks in among the upper half of Latin America's economies. For Latin Pulse, I'm Zach Cohen in Washington, D.C.
1: That's a rapper's response to criticism. This week... Several members of Congress criticized the high-profile anniversary trip to Cuba, complete with paparazzi documentation of Sean Carter and his wife, Beyoncé Knowles Carter. Of course, most of the world knows the couple simply as Beyoncé and Jay-Z, their stage names. The congressional critics wanted to know how the celebrity singers got around the U.S. law that prevents citizens from spending money on the island. The U.S. maintains an economic embargo against Cuba. As it turns out, The Treasury Department gave the celebrity couple clearance to travel to Cuba as an exception to the law under educational and cultural exchanges. In his new song called Open Letter, Jay-Z claims he got permission directly from President Barack Obama. The White House denies that happened. Florida Senator Marco Rubio says the Cuban government used the couple's anniversary trip for propaganda purposes. Both Beyoncé and Jay-Z are longtime financial supporters of President Obama. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine.
0: Thanks, Kurt. This weekend, Venezuelans will choose between interim President Nicolás Maduro or Governor Enrique Capriles Rodonsky to replace Hugo Chávez. So this week, we again feature a Skype interview from Caracas, this time with Professor David Smildy of the University of Georgia. Smildy is the co-editor of the book Venezuela's Bolivarian Democracy, Participation, Politics, and Culture under Chavez. Here are excerpts from our conversation about the pre-election situation.
4: I think uh, the atmosphere is noticeably different than it was In the 2012 campaign, this is a very short, compact campaign. So I think there's a little bit of exhaustion, and it's just a quick campaign. And so there's a little bit less citizen involvement, as far as I can tell.
0: You maintain a blog for the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA. And you wrote recently in that blog about the fact that you felt that this snap election that's coming is remarkably free of content. That that we don't seem to be hearing much about um, policy themes. It seems to be much more about personality.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the thing is, I think neither side thinks they have a real interest in talking about the issues. You know, I think from the opposition side, they think this is a short election. We don't have time to get our uh, our message out. Basically, what you know, the only path they really have to to winning in this election in which they're far behind and it's a very short campaign is to try and get those people who supported Chavez but have doubts about Maduro to stay home and to rally their base. So we're seeing a Capriles that's much more aggressive and not really talking about issues uh, and trying to rally his base and trying to sort of ridicule Maduro and make people have doubts about him. I. I'm critical of that strategy because i I personally don't think that the position has much of a chance in this election, given that it comes uh, just after a very emotional passing away of uh, President Chavez. and I think this is the chance that they could take to really get out a message for the country on on five, six, seven key issues that this is you know, try to explain to people why things are the way they are, what they would do differently, what their vision is of the country, because that would put them in a better position in a couple years when I think they would have more of a chance.
0: In some ways, um, Enrique Capriles-Rodonsky, the opposition candidate, he is in an impossible position here. He's running against a ghost, and he's about to lose his second election in six months. Does this doom his political career, or are we going to see him again on the national stage in Venezuela, do you think?
4: I think there's, there's a real question there, and in fact, it wasn't entirely clear that he was going to run precisely for that reason, you know, that, it, that he, it's an uphill battle, this would mean a second electoral loss in, in six months, and this could make him look like he's not a viable candidate in the future you know I think in in Venezuela or in Latin American politics there's any number of cases of of candidates who have lost multiple times Lula for example lost three elections before he was finally elected and so I don't necessarily think that uh, it it dooms Capriles anything could happen in the future I, I do think that Capriles is probably not actually the best candidate for the opposition I think they have some other people that in the future might look like better candidates people that could actually bridge that divide a little bit better than I think Capriles has.
0: Interesting that you mentioned Lula, the former president of Brazil, and some people would say that that Capriles is trying more to be in a, a Lula type figure um, in, in opposition of the ghost of Chavez and and, and and how he's running against the Socialist Party. But I'm, I'm wondering about some of those names that you mentioned, um, who are some of those on-the-cusp in Venezuela who we're gonna be hearing about in the opposition camp in these coming years?
4: Well, I think the two main figures in the Capriles campaign, the campaign director is, is named Henry Falcón. He's the governor of Lara State, and he was a Chávez supporter up until a little less than three years ago, and when at which time he then uh, pulled out of the Chávez camp, said he wasn't it was in disagreement with uh, their plans and their policies and he's been in the opposition since of course he's not trusted by large parts of the opposition because he was a pro-chavez governor until three years ago but he's somebody that has won with very large margins in uh, in Lada in, in in his state and he's center-left and is a big tent kind of guy the other person is Carlos Ocariz who I think is probably even a better candidate because he's always been in the opposition but he's had a very different approach than most of the opposition. He, he from about 2004, 2008 basically walked around Petare, participated in neighborhood association meetings, really talked to people about their problems and ran a campaign in uh, a municipality that is, is strongly polarized but has enormous popular uh, sector element to it. It has a huge group of barrios called Petari. And he was able to win handily in in that election, and win handily twice actually. And you know, he's somebody that talks about issues, talks to people about their problems, and has been able to bridge it out to the popular sectors. It's something that very few people in the opposition have have been able to do: is is to actually hit the street and and talk to people. You now they usually have been much the old guard has been much more content with just you know, criticizing Chavez and saying he's totalitarian and, uh, you know, that he's a communist, etc. Whereas whereas O'Kernice had taken a different uh, tack. So I think those are the, the two guys to watch in the future. And I think either of them would probably be a better candidate in the future than Capriles uh, is right now.
0: So Capriles is mainly the opposition candidate because he's the last one who ran. He's the one who has the best national recognition?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think... You know it was very clear that six months after the October election, he was identified as the leader of the uh, opposition. He already had his networks, you know the whole campaign uh, uh, formation. he's used to be on the road. he has the discourse so he I think he was really the only alternative in this short election. There's just not time to introduce a new face to the nation and you know uh, I think that. It's, you know, there's just one month is just not enough to do that kind of groundwork. Whereas I think in the future, in a longer campaign, there would be.
0: Nicolas Maduro, the acting president, is is able to to run almost as an incumbent in this particular election. And that's been some of the criticism here in Washington, D.C., that it's an unequal playing field for the opposition, uh, especially in the media, that one network, Global Vision, is uh, still critical of the venezuelan government and yet that's up for sale and is supposed to be sold right after the elections and we're hearing stories that the electoral authority has been fairly critical of uh, newspapers in um, in caracas and in throughout venezuela who have criticized the government especially against the newspaper tal qual um what can you tell us about the media environment there and and the unequal nature of how this election may may come off
4: yeah, I think there's some really valid criticisms of, of the campaign, of the playing field in Venezuela. You know, oftentimes, electoral observation efforts, the international tension is often focused on election day dynamics and the vote tally. And I think Venezuela has a really solid electronic platform, a really impeccable uh, um, uh, system for citizen auditing of the election. I, I think there's, there's no real worries about the election day dynamics, other than some issues of using a, uh, uh, public um, resources for mobilization, but I think there's a real, there's a real uh, legitimate criticism to be made about the electoral playing field, and one aspect of that is precisely the media. I think particularly state media, the, what's called the you know the Bolivarian system of media, because it's not just the official state television, but there's now. Six or seven television stations and a whole network of radio stations and all of those are openly and unapologetically partisan they're like nonstop uh, you know support for the socialist candidate and nonstop criticism of the opposition and criticism in a form that's you know r- largely dehumanizing and delegitimizes the opposition in its, in its very existence as being you know, traitors and unpatriotic, etc. No, so I think there, there is a real uh, criticism to be made there. That Having said that, in, in the 2012 election, there were studies carried out by, for example, the Catholic University here in Venezuela, that showed that Capriles actually did get his message out. In fact, in, tele- in, in a number of uh, uh, media, television, radio, print media, he actually got his message out more than Chavez did. And so, you know, most media consumption... But he still
0: lost by 11 points.
4: But he still lost by 11 points. And so uh, that that indicates that that's probably not the reason that he lost, because he was getting his message out. So there, there's a lot of uh, elements that I think are are, thing, are very uh, uh, legitimate criticisms of the playing field.
0: So thank you, Professor David Smiley a sociologist at the University of Georgia who joins us today on Latin Pulse. Uh, Professor Smiley is also the moderator, that means the writer and editor of the blog for the Washington office on Latin America, the blog called Venezuelan politics and human rights. Thank you for joining us today via Skype
1: from Caracas.
4: Thank you for the invitation.
1: A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring.
4: Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org.
0: Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Political analyst Alex Main is just one of the many international observers on hand for Venezuela's snap presidential election, Maine is with the Center for Economic and Policy Research, a Washington D.C. think tank. We caught up with him before his trip to Caracas. Here are excerpts from our pre-recorded interview.
2: I think people are, you know, very conscious now of who Maduro is. I mean, we've got to keep in mind uh, that, you know, effectively Chavez stopped being in the public eye. Um, you know, s- stopped um, really being the the central Person, public person in the government since uh, about November. And even before that, of course, he'd had long uh, bouts of therapy in Cuba and and had been uh, absent from the stage. Um, Filling that void um, has been Maduro from very early on. It's been uh, many months now that he's been really the central figure. So people know him. It's not just about Chavez and the ghost of Chavez. I mean, Maduro and his style um, and his... um, you know, proposals uh, have now, uh, you know, it's something that people are very aware of now, I think.
0: He is the former foreign minister. You worked in the government at one time early in the Chavez administration. Um, what do you know about Maduro? What can you tell us about him as a leader? What can you tell us about his, his foreign policy?
2: Well, I think, uh, yeah, of course, uh, he's played a huge role in foreign policy since he was for over five years uh, the foreign minister of Venezuela before becoming a uh, vice president uh, last year. Um, and he um, really uh, did, I think, a remarkable job uh, in that position, where he sort of carried on a lot of Chavez's agenda, the regional integration agenda in particular. Um, and we saw Uh, Some, you know, very, very positive movement forward of different um, integration mechanisms, in particular UNASUR, but also the CELAC, which is the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, which uh, really came into being uh, a little over a year ago in Caracas, Venezuela. So he um, took a real important lead there. And didn't
0: CELAC have have a, a successful summit in Chile this year?
2: That's correct. Uh, without the presence of Chavez, because Chavez was this was in um, uh, January in Santiago, Chile, and uh, indeed Chavez wasn't present because he was, uh, you know, in intensive care, really in Cuba. Uh, Nicolas Maduro was there, and a large Venezuelan delegation. And what what I think really stood out in that meeting was um, how mu- how many plaudits. Uh, President Chavez got from all the heads of state, including you know the right wing uh, heads of state like uh, Piñera of um, Chile and Santos of Colombia, who all um, recognized Chavez's huge role in making uh, the CELAC happen.
0: I-, I interrupted your 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 thought about where you were going about um, further integration efforts of Maduro. Um, uh, were you going to mention uh, his work with? With, um, with Alba or, or other parts of integration with Venezuela?
2: Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Alba has, is, of course, it's a smaller uh, group of countries. Uh, you can sort of look on it as, as a vanguard as they've kind of have an accelerated integration process. And uh, it's countries that are, you know, arguably the more left wing countries of the region, with Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua and Ecuador and Bolivia and a few Caribbean nations as well. And they've played uh, an absolutely crucial role in forming uh, the regional agenda uh, within uh, multilateral institutions that even include the U.S., like the Organization of American States, where they played a very big role in condemning the. Uh, coup that occurred in Honduras in 2009. Um, and uh, they were also very active uh, dealing with the political crisis in Bolivia and dealing with the political crisis that followed a technical coup in Paraguay last year. Uh, so, so yes, that's another place where um, Maduro has been very active and very effective.
0: In the U.S. media, he's characterized as the former bus driver. And and I think even as a joke, he's gone and driven buses as part of the campaign. Um, he has evolved from that state, has he not?
2: Well, absolutely. But, um, you know, he's really played on that uh, image and that background. Um, you know, of course, one of the things that helped contribute to Chavez's huge popularity uh, in Venezuela was that he came from, uh, a very modest background, and he never forgot that, and he always played it up, actually, and and showed that he remained connected to those roots. And I think that's something that Maduro has done quite effectively as well, including in such symbolic and fairly comical acts as um, driving buses around. And when he went to register as a candidate at the uh, electoral authority in Caracas, he drove up uh, in a bus. He was driving the bus, and um, and uh, this got a huge amount of uh, cheers from you know everyone who was present, all the demonstrators that were present. So I, I think you know that's it. It, sh- it shows a lot about Maduro, but also um, really he he was a bus driver, but from the very beginning he was playing a big big role in the transport union, and rose to the top of the 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 Caracas transport union, and. Um, within the metro, because the public transport is focused around the metro, which has its own bus system as well. And so he, he was driving a bus for that metro system. Uh, but this talent as a union leader is something I think that served him well afterwards uh, in the government, where he's been very good at dealing with the different factions within Chavismo, kind of being above it all, being good at mediating and so on. And I think that's a big reason for why Chavez uh, anointed him as successor.
0: At the very beginning of this year, when President Obama took his second term, there was great talk that there was a possibility to reset the relationship between the United States and Venezuela. Yet the week that Chavez died, we really start to see things start to deteriorate even worse than they had been. Um, is there a possibility to pick this up or is Maduro going to take an even harder line against the United States than Chavez
2: no, I, I think absolutely. after the elections, I think there 's a real opportunity to um, improve things and I imagine the u s is aware of that we are uh, right now, of course, in campaign mode, arguably, um, really, as soon as Chavez died, um, the uh, Venezuela started to be in campaign mode because the constitu- constitution calls for these snap elections there 's very, very little time to prepare. For, for the next elections. And so uh, within that context, of course, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, serves as a foil. It, it, it always has. Um, well, it always has. Uh, it, it always has since the 2002 coup, um, which the U.S. supported uh, against Chavez. Um, you know, ever since that moment and a lot of other faux pas, if you will, I would say some very aggressive policy from the U.S., It's sort of built um, an antagonism against the U.S. that I think is something that is popular at this point within a lot of the population. They feel that the U.S. is set to undermine, um, you know, the well, Chavez and his legacy. Uh, And so it's a way of stoking some of the popular sentiment, some of the nationalism. And of course, there are some real reasons, uh, there are some real causes for this antagonism. I would say in the last few years, um, certainly under Obama, um, the official line from the administration is m- much more subdued. It's not so overtly supportive of the opposition, but we know that the opposition is still still getting uh, quite a bit of help, uh, funding and so on from the U.S., though not as in obvious ways.
0: So are we to parse the campaign rhetoric to say, this is just um, the necessity to be bellicose against the United States. Come back in a few weeks and we can talk.
2: Yes. Well, yes yes, and no. I think there's also, you know, in in relation to the campaign context, there is the feeling that the U.S. Um, has intervened in a way that's inappropriate. Um, of course, there are accusations of espionage to military attaches from the U.S. Embassy in Caracas, um, were uh, sent back, became persona non grata, um, and they're accused of um, espionage. There's been no real um, uh, response to these accusations from the U.S. administration, so we don't really know there, and we haven't seen any evidence either from uh, the uh, from Nicolas Maduro and his government.
0: Thank you, Alex Maine of the Center for Economic and Policy Research for joining us today on Latin
2: Pulse. Thank you, Rick.
0: Latin Pulse is available in various places on the web, including iTunes and Facebook. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs of Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to respond to this program, you may contact us. You may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Kurt Devine, announcer Victor Kilo, and writer Zach Cohen, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication, and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013. Las Rocas Productions.